welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for Difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry and to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritising diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Welcome everybody to the second of our DIFF Trailblazer podcasts. I'm Barrett Sagar and today I'm joined by Ali Crosley. Ali joined LNG Insurance as MD for distribution in March 2019. She's responsible for leading the integration of all distribution activity, which includes intermediary, banks, affinity and building society channels, as well as, of course, LNG's Mortgage Club. She has a strong pedigree in financial services, having worked at BGL, Saga and The Pru, and she also heads up the DNI initiatives for Legal and General. We're also joined by Saj Latif, but Saj is going to do his own heavy lifting and introduce himself. So Saj, tell us what you do, your responsibility, and talk us through your journey to where you are today. Okay, thanks Barrett. So we're married, a very proud father of two girls, aged uh, 11 and 8. So like uh, many parents up and down the country with young kids, feeling the challenges of uh, homeschooling. Been in uh, financial services for just over 20 years. Uh, I worked for Lloyds Banking Group in the retail side of the business. So within strategic partnerships and uh, the housing team in intermediaries. So I'm a national account manager responsible for the overall mortgage relationship between two of our key distributors and the bank. I enjoy the role. There's lots of variety. It's not just uh, mortgages. I also got involved heavily in marketing, in technology. It's a less transactional and uh, I would say a more strategic role. Uh, outside work, I enjoy long walks with the family, playing golf and uh, and cricket. Well, not so much playing cricket. I've done an awful lot of that. Uh, don't play anymore. Watch quite a lot of cricket. Uh, put down my bat a few years ago. So in terms of uh, career, I graduated in 1999 and then very quickly joined Alliance and Leicester, uh, then before moving to HBOS some six months later, where I held many sales type roles on uh, on the retail side. So not real commercial, just all, all, all retail. Around 2001, I moved over to intermediaries in the Halifax brand and joined a small team working towards setting up then a general insurance proposition for intermediaries. And I remember we were paying something like 20, 25 pound uh, a policy. So uh, not much interesting times. In 2003, I became a business development manager for Halifax intermediaries, uh, covering quite a few of the uh, postcode regions in Yorkshire. I had a great time and loved getting involved and uh, helping customers directly in that role. And also during that time and uh, more so after Mortgage uh, Market Review in 2014, uh, I was involved in change management and quite a lot of project work helping to shape the intermediary propositions. Uh, One of the last projects that I was on was uh, I I was one of the team that helped design the current Halifax Intermediaries product transfer system that we brought to market in 1617. 
and uh, fast forward to 2016, moved into my current role as National Account Manager under the tutelage of uh, Esther Dijkstra, and uh, here I am. Excellent. So, Sat, you've painted a really lovely, quite easy story. I'm sure it wasn't that. I know that you went to a Roman Catholic school and there was a reason for that, and you feel that your success stems from that. Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So uh, that was really in primary school and it continued from primary school. So just to take you back there, Barrett, uh, in primary school, I pretty much go as far as saying I was, uh, I, was a, I was a little terror. So a bit of a pain for my parents. I was getting into quite a few fights, but vaguely remember these being in defence of uh, other kids that were being picked on. And that's probably one of the reasons why my parents pulled me out of what was then an inner city school and uh, sent me to a Catholic school and in their terms for a more disciplined education. Uh, all I can remember in the early days was being the only Muslim boy in the uh, in the whole school. So that was interesting. But what I would say, Barrett, you know, in all fairness is I've always had, you know, broad shoulders, literally broad shoulders. I've always had, carried a bit of size and that kind of puts people off from saying nasty things or at least to your face. And uh, I've always been quite good at sports, so I generally feel that if you are good at sports and uh, you can relate to people on that level, then that normally puts quite a lot of people at ease. Okay. So, Ali, do you, do you see that Sarge sort of fits into a kind of person that you would actually employ? You know, just looking at his CV without his name, Catholic school, university, blah, blah, blah. Is he somebody that fits into somebody that you would employ yourself? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, Sarge. Yes, um, please please do um, apply for some jobs with me. <laughs> no, but, but yeah, absolutely. Sarge has got a very impressive background and, and has clearly clearly done very well. I guess it's it's just interesting listening to you and just hearing you say comment about, you know, the fact of your size perhaps prevented people from making nasty comments, which is an interesting statement in itself, isn't it? And makes me think, well, what kind of nasty comments would they have made? And, and actually, that then made me think, what what advice other than using your broad shoulders would you give to your 16-year-old self? Have, you know, now you've you've been so successful and you've made it, kind of if you could turn the clocks back and give some advice to your 16-year-old self, what might that be, Sarge? That would be interesting. Oh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a great question. I'd go with two things, really. And, uh, and the first one, which I think is the main one, would be be true to yourself never move away from being yourself to appease and in particular to appease others and I know Esther is huge on this point you know she's talked to me you know a number of occasions to say you really need to be yourself uh, and the second point a willingness to try and learn different and new things and have a varied career and I guess that's really important for two things really helping you to find the things that you're good at and also giving you a much broader perspective. It, it does also help, Ali, if you're good at sports, because I was the only one with a turban at a particularly unpleasant comprehensive school in Manchester, and I was rubbish at sports. So I had my, I had my turban taken off, my glasses broken on a regular basis. So, yeah, if I could have talked to my 16-year-old self, I'd have said, just try a bit better at football and cricket, will you? <laughs> I was a weed myself, so I think, you know, even though I didn't wear a turban, I think I was being a weed at, at sport is, is never cool, is it? Sad, you mentioned Esther, and uh, I, I wanted to ask you how you felt with LBG having really diverse people at senior management like Jazz Singh who spoke at our event before. Does that sort of inspire you, help you that you've got women and people from underrepresented groups 
very visible in senior roles in your outfit. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, Barrett. And and it's not just it's not just Giles. You've got Vim, and then you've got Zach Mia, who's the uh, group transformation director. So well, when I look around the industry, it does give me confidence seeing you know role models like Vim, Giles, Zach, Esther in very senior roles within our organisation. And it does, and it does to be honest, give me a uh, gives me a sense of belonging, and also the confidence that progression is there if uh, if you've got the ability. That's probably not the same for some black colleagues who are underrepresented at senior level. We can come to that, but because I think that's been recognised by LBG, because um, there is a commitment from LBG to increase black representation in senior roles to at least three percent by 2025 and I think one of the things Jazz said in the event we did with him was companies need to be very public about their ambitions for D&I and and I'd love your view on this Ali do you see the fact that if you publicly state something in a place where you want to be it means that you have the drive to get there? Yeah I think it's a really great question Barrett I I think you know this this year or last year I should say sort of the Black Lives Matter movement and the push that that has had on encouraging organisations to speak up on lots of matters that they, you know, were previously silent on, it has has only been helpful. And perhaps we'll come on to the BLM issues. But um, in terms of quotas, I, I, you know, instinctively, I really don't like them because by their very nature, there's some kind of positive discrimination there. And I think they, they're sometimes extremely unhelpful for the people that are recruited as a result of those quotas and they perhaps feel less of a sense of achievement and and they might be marginalized or you know patronized um, if the assumption is that they've only made it because of a quota but that said I think sometimes they are absolutely necessary to jump start a process or to give an, an impetus where there's clearly a problem I mean you need to look at the success in in Norway of quotas over the last decade, they've had a phenomenal result on on increasing gender diversity at board level. And I think, although I don't like them, and I much prefer a benchmark to a quota, which, you know, I think benchmarks are more helpful. Nonetheless, I recognise that they can be helpful and sometimes, as I say, necessary. And I applaud what LBG have, have stated that they need to do. I mean, I think it's shocking that we even have to have quotas in this space. It just shouldn't be the case and it won't be in the future, but that's not where we are now. And, and right now, I think they are they are necessary in places. And, and so, yeah, I, as I say, I, I applaud what LBG are doing in this space. The, the contrary argument, of course, is that there has been 100 plus years of positive discrimination to privately educated white males. So we're only restoring the balance a bit. But on your issue on that, Ali, I quite like Sarge's view. It's a question that I also asked Richard Goppy in our last podcast. Have you ever felt, Sarge, that somebody has thought that you got your promotion because you're brown? And if they did, what would you have answered to them? Or even if you haven't, how would you answer that question? Yeah, so that's a good one. Before I even get to that one, uh, Barrett, just on Ali's point, I think the impetus part is hugely important. Uh, the way that I've seen this is, you know, diversity before was, you know, more of a nice to have in the workplace, but now it is becoming more of a fundamental principle. So yeah, getting to your point, in all honesty, and if you have a look at um, what I went through in terms of my career and how I got to where I am, uh, I've not really bounced around a lot doing 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 different roles for a short period of time. Uh, so what that has helped me do, Barrett, is uh, really get to grips with every role that I've done and uh, perform them quite well. So on the back of that, the people who know me or have worked with me 
uh, will know that any promotions or roles that I've uh, that I've held have been absolutely warranted. And to be perfectly honest, it's their opinion that you know that I care the most about. Uh, anybody else that doesn't really know you know know me, I'm not really you know too interested in what their thoughts or opinions are. Okay, that's a good answer. So one of the things I wanted to uh, get over, and I know Ali's very strong on this too, is to show very clearly that diversity and inclusivity is a positive business benefit. So I'd like to ask you, Saj, what has your cultural background actually brought specifically as a benefit to either your colleagues or the brokers that you interact with. So just give me one example of something that Saj Latif um, brought to the table and helped the business, which a non-Saj Latif white male could not have done. I guess being able to understand about how the Asian community works, I would say has helped and definitely helped. Uh, and to give you an example, uh, not many people will understand that some customers in Asian communities especially when it comes to you know looking at finances and uh, getting onto the housing ladder, they will build a deposit through effectively a social savings scheme called a gamete. And to keep this uh, quite simple, a gamete is, uh, and let's keep the math simple, is a savings plan. So let's say you have uh, 10 people saving £100 a month and paying that into the scheme in 10 months' time, then earn £1,000. And what this committee lets you do is uh, pull out that £1,000 early, but you have to continue paying into uh, paying into the fund for 10 months. Uh, so what I've previously done is, you know, when I've, uh, when I've talked to brokers about this, I've helped our underwriters to understand the committee concept. And this has definitely helped uh, both brokers and in turn customers securing finance. And I'd go as far as saying, Barrett, without that knowledge, the customers would not have had the uh, the finance to buy the house certainly not at that time through us and such and i think that's a, i think that's a really interesting and, and is a good illustration that you know diverse experiences diverse opinions diverse backgrounds bring with it different viewpoints that can only benefit businesses because businesses that make diverse decisions make better decisions and ultimately therefore they make more money and there's lots and lots of research isn't there which demonstrates that diverse businesses perform better and I think therefore you know if if you have a group of people who all look very similar sound very similar have very similar backgrounds have the same qualification then inevitably you're going to get a cluster around a certain you know likelihood of making a certain decision um, versus having a a more disparate group where you'll have all sorts of different um, diverse opinions and that can only be a good thing for a business for me, I think, you know, being a woman, there's no question that, um, well, <laughs> I might wind up some men by saying this, but in general, women are better at the softer skills stuff, spotting things like lack of engagement in staff and that kind of thing than male colleagues in general. It's a massive generalisation. But having, you know, a different skills, different antennae, I guess, in a meeting is only helpful for business performance, can only be the right thing to do. And whether that's a, you know, an Asian background or a disabled background or whatever it is, it's just a diverse, a, a, a different viewpoint, which will benefit businesses. And I think that's why it's, that's why it's so important to make sure that we have diversity and in, and the right level of inclusiveness across businesses. You, you mentioned benchmarking, and I, I'd like to sort of explore with both you and Sarge. Do you think how far we've come with the gender agenda and women and the increased role they have in financial services 
could act as a benchmark to where we want the BAME initiative to go. Yeah, well, I think that the benchmarking and things like the 30% club, which was set up by Helena Morrissey, uh, however many years ago, has been really effective at driving representation of women in senior positions in uh, you know many organisations. I think there's, there's, there's always more to do there. But what I liked about the 30% club was that it wasn't about quotas, it was about benchmarking. And it was about the point we discussed earlier, which was linking improved performance to the to a diverse workforce. I guess in terms of the BM, BAME agenda, might that be useful? Absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously all women aren't the same, all men aren't the same. You know, it's, it's not a homogenous group to so say, let's just do the same thing for BAME. But I think that there are certainly lessons that we can learn. And I think it's right now that the focus is on areas which are more underrepresented than, than women. And they, they still are in, in, in many areas, of course. But um, I think it's right that the the spotlight turns on on BAME initiatives. So yeah, I think it's it's, a, it's an excellent thing that there are now lots of work going on on benchmarking in this space. Absolutely. Sad. Do you agree that BAME people should? We've got to aim for where women are now, and women have also at the same time got to push on. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree and concur with what Ali has just said. I think there's plenty of there's plenty of crossover, plenty of lessons that we can learn. Uh, I'd go as far as saying as well. You know what the uh, the gender conversation has and has done in terms of gender pay gap as well i think we can apply the same principles and have a look at the ethnic pay gap across uh, across all the all the minorities too and that's and that's some work that we've kicked off in Lloyds banking group too i mean it's about how we can make sure that you know everyone can be themselves in the workplace and it's kind of no matter what they look like where they come from what they sound like or anything else and i think any benchmarks or or any focus on ensuring that that is absolutely the case and making organizations really thinking about it and not no longer being silent about on these matters like i get you know i think silence is a is a form of complicity, frankly, and we've avoided these difficult conversations for too many decades. And it feels that now is the time for us to act. And it's it's fantastic that we're having this conversation, and fantastic that we see many organisations rallying around and really focusing in this space. And I really hope that that the this is that this is the decade where we see a, a seismic shift in in these areas that have just been, you know, need, need to have been sorted out years ago. I would love to ask you, Saj, now that you are in a senior role yourself, what you've done specifically to make the path easier for those following behind you. Are there any particular things that you've done? Uh, there is, Ali, yeah. Barrett's talked about the uh, the race action plan that we have. And, you know, Jazz has, Jazz has talked openly about that in the market. Uh, I'm part of a working party under that plan. And I'm currently helping, or I have helped quite a few colleagues understand the impact of racism and unconscious biases uh, to enable colleagues ultimately to have open, honest and uh, brave conversations and face into these conversations uh, in, a, in, a, in a safe space, so to speak. Uh, shortly, I'll be having conversations around how we can improve our recruitment policy and process and uh, ultimately make that a whole lot easier for uh, Black, Asian, minority, ethnic people playing roles. All right, that's quite a broad remit. That's quite impressive, Sarge. Ali, I know that you're doing some really interesting stuff at LNG, and one thing I was hugely taken with in a conversation we had recently was the concept of reverse mentoring. Uh, do you want to sort of expand on that? And have you done it? Has it worked? Is it weird? 
Yes, yes. No, I'm really excited about this, this area too. Um, we are about to kick it off. It's all been approved. The project's already and mobilised and we've got both mentors and mentees ready. And the first sessions start in February and we are in February as we're recording this. So there's eight exec members are each being uh, mentored by a member of one of the DNI groups that have been identified, whether it's LGBT+, whether it's um, mental awareness and mental health, whether it's disability, a whole range of areas that we've identified as, as ones that we want to really focus on and make sure that we are doing as much as we can and treating everybody fairly and so on. And the whole idea is to make sure that the people at the top of the insurance business, so LGI where I work, can walk in the shoes of people and, and understand what it feels like, what the issues might be to be in one of these groups. So that's the idea to basically open the mind and open the eyes and to listen and to learn. And the assumption being that you can only go on your own experience. And actually, although I'm very alive to lots of these issues, I'm sure I'm going to learn just as much as all of my other colleagues when I go through the process myself. And then what we'll do, we intend to roll it out across the organisation. So other parts of LNG are looking really closely, watching us to see how it works. Um, but also across LGI. So I don't want it to just be at the senior level. We're starting there simply because I think it's this is going to have to be a, a top-down cultural cultural shift and, and signal that, you know, that this is the right thing to do and linked, as I said, to making sure everybody can be their full selves when they come to work and are fully supported in, in being so. So that that's basically the idea. And I'd be, you know, delighted to come back and tell you how it goes in the, in the next few months. So the idea is that in the next three months, when we finish the first exec um, sessions, we will then get back together as, as an exec group and decide and consider what the actions are as a result of that. What more do we need to do? Um, where, where, what, what's working? What's not? Where should our focus be? So, yes, really excited about it and um, be very happy to share with you as, as we go along the journey. Brilliant. Um, that would be delighted with that. Sad. So there's lots of initiatives happening. You know, Ali's got initiatives, you've got your initiative, and I'm sure lots of things are happening across the space, which is very, very good. Does that give you confidence then that as an industry, we are taking uh, lack of representation at all levels seriously and that we are moving forward as an industry uh, with the big names leading the way? It does. It absolutely does, Barry. And Ali, what you've just said about reverse mentoring, it's it's absolutely fascinating. It's uh, and quite frankly, it's a uh, it's a breath of fresh air, and uh, not one that I've personally come across. But I know KPMG and some of the big businesses have done the similar thing. So yeah, Barry, it absolutely does, and it goes back to what I've said previously. You know, the industry has progressed a lot, and this kind of stuff is now becoming a fundamental principle, which can only help. And Serge, do you think you know we sort of touched on the the sort of BLM stuff and the death of George Floyd last year, which sparked it all, of course. Do you think, uh, and it sounds like you're saying yes, but I'd be interested for both you and Barrett, do you think it's actually going to make a difference now? It feels to me that there's massive movement in the, in this, in the right area now, but do you think it's going to be sustained and, and that we are going to see the sort of paradigm shift and, and things are going to get better and that we won't any longer have to have this conversation in another 10 years' time? What, what, do, you, what do you both think? I'm not. I'm not sure about the ten years time, but definitely the momentum that the uh, that the Black Lives Matter movement has brought after the tragic death of uh, 
of George Floyd uh, has yeah has 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 absolutely you know made these conversations happen. I mean, I'm directly involved in this race action plan because of that, and uh, I've started educating my colleagues and you know, talking to them about you know Black Lives Matter. Why is it that we're currently talking about BLM and you know the whole argument around White Lives Matters, etc., etc. And uh, I think people get it, and uh, and it's and it's and it's helped opens people's eyes but you know more importantly it's you know it's it's putting them in a position now where they need to be having these conversations and now that you've mentioned that not doing anything you're almost complicit so yeah definitely definitely but i think yeah 10 years we might still be having a conversation things move slowly what do you think barrett well my personal feelings is that it's given a huge boost and it's a tragedy that uh, um, somebody had to die to to do this but it is now incumbent on everybody that's involved and actually cares about this to make sure that it's not wasted. So, you know, we have got a wave. It may even be a tsunami of activity, but but it still can peter out if we let it. And it's our responsibility and our sort of diff initiative is is all part of that, to carry it on, to get the support and, and not to say, oh, right, we've done it now. I've done something. I can stop. Uh, I've spoken to a black person, I've done my bit. And, you know, that's not enough. We've got to carry on doing it. And if it is to have long-term change, it has got to be sustainable. And to be sustainable, it has to be sustained by people. I guess, I mean, as you say, terrible that, that somebody had to die as a result of it. And, of course, many other people have died before George Floyd did. But I guess one of the upsides of the pandemic was that millions and millions of people were sitting at home uh, watching TV and on social media and actually saw it happen and were horrified by it. And, and so that, that death was obviously a waste, but but in that sense, not wasted and it's mobilised the world to look at this. So, yeah, let's all stand together and I hope it is sustained. Indeed. And I, and I think um, it's also important to make ourselves available to people. Being able to talk and discuss these issues is quite important. And certainly our contact details will be available after the podcast if anybody wants to email Ali or me or Sarge about any subjects that they feel strongly about, then they can do. So I'd just like to thank Ali and Sarge for being so truthful and honest and entertaining and insightful. And finally, what a great example from Sarge of how a different culture, a different pair of eyes can actually bring real benefit to the bottom line of a company to be able to help customers get mortgages, brokers to place those customers, and lenders to actually get great risk on their books, which they wouldn't have done without Sarge's insight. So there it is, that's diversity in action. So thanks again, Ali and Sarge, and we'll see you all for the next podcast. Cheers, bye.